Nation Log live back again on a Tuesday night to field your questions and comments about Star Trek Discovery. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. This week, you and John and I will dig into the episode, episode six of Star Trek Discovery, Late Day. Yes, and we want to hear from you. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can click on the link in the comments to join in the Zoom video call, or you can call 669-900-6833 and enter the conference number 880-938-931, also on screen in the comments. Now, those links change for each episode that we do, so please check back each week for the right one. You can also email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And Ken, I'm so pleased that just like every week, we immediately have people saying hi to us. So hi back to you all, Cosmo. Hi to Todd. Hi to Penny. So great to see you all chiming in in the Facebook chat right away. And there's Casey saying, looking forward to chatting it up with us. So uh, you guys know what to do. Just click on the link or dial those numbers and you can join us. I do want to thank everybody who's been watching and listening with us uh, over the past few weeks. And remember, there are lots of ways that you can actually pick up Mission Log Live, of course, live is one way to do it, uh, which, of course, we can find us on, golly, on Facebook or on YouTube, actually. It's it's the Roddenberry Prod, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the Roddenberry Prod. Prod. Yeah. Buy one yes, today. YouTube, YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. Uh, we're running a two-for-one special for the holidays, by the way, so stay <laughs> tuned for that. Uh, if you want the audio-only version of this show, you can have that. Just search iTunes for Mission Log Live. You can also hit our website, missionlogpodcast.com, to hear the latest episode. And, of course, you can visit facebook.com slash missionlogpod, which will give you access to the video replays of every show that we've done so far. And coming soon to podcast.roddenberry.com as well, uh, about which we're very excited. So thank you again to everybody who's watching and uh, those of you who are joining us for the live broadcast, those of you who are listening to the podcast later, we welcome you all. This show truly is about you. It is about your comments, your questions, and Ken and I will have our notes in a little bit. But there's something new for those of you who are watching. You may see in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, there's a couple of little starships down there, the Shinju and the Discovery with uh, sort of uh, flaming warp trails behind them. And they say bad and worst. Ken, would you, like to, <laughs> would you like to explain why they say bad and worst? Well, we had a few ideas for a poll question that we would like to run, uh, which would be your favorite be- breakfast, the, uh, the egg white burrito or the green juice with extra green. I'm going burrito um, every time. Every yeah, time think- burrito. I think there was like actually a serious plot question or something as well. But then we decided probably the best question, uh, Sarek, bad father or worst father? So mm-hmm. there are your choices. Is Sarek a bad father or is he the worst father? Well, you can click there and, uh, and, and make your voice heard. Let everybody know uh, which one you think he is. Hey, John, you've got the recap coming up, but we should let people know that we've also got a guest coming up tonight. Um, uh, renowned science fiction author, uh, Robert J. Sawyer, is going to be joining us to talk about Discovery and a little bit about Star Trek in general in just a bit. Uh, so, so do stick around for that and, of course, to get your own questions in as well. In the meantime, though, sir, you are going to, uh, you're going to let people know what happened on this week's Discovery, are you not? I am. I'm going to give you the recap. But right before I do that, I have to say uh, Heather has already chimed in and said, Sarek is a bad father, Worf is the worst father. Heather, I, I you know, I'm gonna, not going to tip my hand. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, no. don't, don't wait the results. Don't but, wait the but, results. But Heather, make sure that you vote in the poll. 
We, we really, we need your opinion marked. So make sure you vote in that poll. All right. So the recap for episode six of Star Trek Discovery, Lethe. Ambassador Sarek heads out on a mission, a secret mission to negotiate with the Klingons, with a pilot who turns out to be a xenophobic, hyperlogical fundamentalist who turns himself into a bomb. With the ship disabled and Sarek hurt badly, that tricky mind meld Katra sharing has an intense effect on Michael Burnham, who is far away on board Discovery. She's seeing Sarek's thoughts, and those thoughts are about her, a younger version of her when she was graduating and being considered for the Vulcan Expeditionary Group. Something's very wrong, and Burnham convinces Lorca they need to find Sarek. Lorca confirms Sarek's mission with Starfleet and then promptly breaks their orders to not go find him. It's going to be a trick, though. Sarek's ship is in a nebula, creating all kinds of havoc with their normal systems. But Michael volunteers to hook herself up to a kind of brainwave enhancer so she can psychically reach out to Sarek, find him, and thus find his ship. She does find his thoughts, but he keeps pushing her out physically. Well, mentally, but physically in his mind it's like there's some kind of secret he doesn't want her to know the only way burnham can save sarek though is if he lets her into his mind the secret is that the vulcan expeditionary group gave sarek a choice spock or michael could join not both he lied to michael about her qualifications for getting in and then spock chose starfleet anyway so sarek is full of oh What's that emotion? Shame. He wakes up enough to hit the transponder in his ship. They swoop in and grab him. Back on Discovery, Admiral Cornwell comes in for a visit. She's not happy about Lorca's erratic behaviors, chief among them ignoring orders. She says he needs evaluation, some time off, and then it gets sexy. Lork is kind of a light sleeper, though, and he pulls a phaser from under his pillow and aims it at the Admiral, mistaking her as a threat. And this is all she needs to decide. He is not the man she knew and needs to be removed from command. Sarek is in sickbay. He'll recover, but he won't be able to make that Klingon peace negotiation. Lorca has a great idea, though. Send Cornwell instead. She's ready, but tells Lorca that when she gets back, he'll need to be dealt with. Oh, about that peace mission. Come on, what were you expecting? Admiral Cornwell arrives at Cancri 4, the neutral territory, and her guards are summarily disposed of. This was orchestrated by Cole. And in the words of another famous franchise, it's a trap. What of Cornwell's fate? Well, we don't know. On board Discovery, Saru asks Lorca if they're going to try to rescue her. The captain's response... Nah, the end. I don't think it's quite fair to say that his response was nah. I think his response was, eh, we'll see. <laughs> I've kept close enough. Close yeah, enough. something along yeah. those lines. We do yeah. want to get everybody's reaction, of course, to uh, this week's episode. Any questions that it brought up for you or any, any thoughts that it brought to you? Uh, before we do that, though, we are super excited to have our guest with us tonight. Uh, Robert J. Sawyer is the author of 23 science fiction novels. Uh, there's the trilogy Wake, Watch, and Wonder, uh, Mind Scan, Flash Forward, Calculating God. His most recent book is Quantum Night. 
He is a Hugo Award winner. He's a Nebula Award winner. He is a Star Trek fan. In fact, he wrote the two-part finale for Star Trek Continues. And uh, for me right now, the coolest part is he is our guest this evening. Rob, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Ken. Hi, John. How are you guys? Hey, great to see you, Rob. Good uh, this is you. very, very different context for us. Usually it's running into each other at the convention, grabbing lunch, and then That's right. going <laughs> our American way. That's right. go in uh, Las Vegas for the uh, annual Star Trek convention there. It's always yes. great to see you guys. Love that it. almost made it into your introduction. Uh, you can put down a burger like nobody's business. There you are. That's yeah. right. I love me I my burger. So here's the thing. I, I just from reading your novels, I mean, having having had the pleasure of getting to know you a bit over the past few years, I know you're a Star Trek fan. Like you just said, we we bump into each other at Star Trek Las Vegas. But um, I, I think it was in Wake, Watch and Wonder where you just you just riff like three or four pages, I want to say, on the motion picture at one yes. point. Yes. Um, talk to me about your Star Trek fandom. Just I mean, is this you're a kid? You're watching it. Is this you came to it later? How did you get so into Star Trek? So I'm 57 years old. I was born in 1960. Star Trek premiered in 66. I didn't see any when I was six. When I was seven, I saw Devil in the Dark in first run, first time it aired, 1967. Uh, My parents were academics and liberals by even Canadian standards in the 60s. I wasn't allowed to watch violent television programs. That included even Star Trek in their estimation. No Man from Uncle, no Rat Patrol, any of these things. My older brother, six years older than me, was able to. So he was the first Star Trek fan in the family. I got to see a couple of episodes with him, uh, I guess, sneaking around my parents' strictures. But more significantly, when that seminal book, The Making of Star Trek, came out in 68, I'm only eight years old. My brother scored a first edition copy and I borrowed it and I read it. I I was just, even at eight years old, fascinated by the world building, by the writing behind the show. To me, I, you know, I love many of the guest performances and all of the regular cast, but for me, the real stars of the original series were starting with Gene Roddenberry on down, the writers of the show, the people who were putting word to paper. And there's no question that I'm a science fiction writer today because I was so intrigued by what was being done in the 60s and really in the 70s when I was watching it five days a week in syndication, the original series. Uh, It became the cornerstone of of my uh, intellectual and moral growth and creative growth. It's honestly true. So I I guess I think I already know the answer to this, but what is your Star Trek? Oh, there's no question for me. I'm a TOS, the original series guy. Uh, I have been, I followed everything that has come since. And there's lots to admire in all the iterations. I don't want to get the evil fan mail here, but the original series is purely uh, pure quill Star Trek. It's the Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. We all know the stories about how his uh, influence waned and that he passed away during TNG. Anything that came after TNG really wasn't under his purview at all. It's a reinterpretation or a reimagining, in cur- including Discovery, the current uh, iteration. Um, for me, it was that original series was nothing has equaled it. Nothing has equaled it. Now, so, I- Bringing up Discovery, um, John and I have something that we do that we call playing the home game. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, uh, you as a fan and as a writer, um, do you try to anticipate what's going to happen? Or are you thinking of how you'd have written it? Or are you able to just like say, okay, for the next 48 minutes, 
uh, I'm along for the ride. I'm, 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 I'm turning off like any other thought about it. And I'm just, I'm just going to watch TV and see what happens. I am a very critical viewer of any television that I watch. I write teleplays. I wrote for Flash Forward, the ABC TV series based on my novel. Uh, as you mentioned, I've written uh, the finale for Star Trek Continues. So I'm always playing that game for sure. What What is the significance? Where are they going with that? In uh, you know the most recent episode, Lorca's reflection in the porthole, uh, the episode before, uh, Stamets's reflection staying in his mirror. What does all that mean? What's the significance? Of course I'm playing along. And I want to be surprised. I mean, the, the thing that the occupational hazard for a writer is, you start watching a movie or an episode of a show, and at the end of the first act, okay, I know how it's going to play out. And nine times out of ten, you're right. So I don't want them to do things that leave me scratching my head and saying, you know, what the... Heck, uh, <laughs> lasted anyways, Jim. What the heck was that? I don't want that. I want to be able to be pleasantly surprised because they've outthunk me. By the way, one of our listeners and uh, frequent commenters, Earl Green, says, Oh man, I helped edit uh, Robert's Boarding the Enterprise anthology that you co wrote with David Gerald. So Earl yeah. says, Hi. Hi and then Earl. he says, and then he says, some people have an elf on the shelf. Robert J. Sawyer has a Sontaran on the That's shelf. Right. Notice Sontaran? that. And the Lunar Lander right there, too. No, no, that is actually nope. the space pod from uh, uh, Lost in Space. Oh, oh it sure is. And, yeah, uh, oh, I can see it better in the large image. Yeah, right there. There, yeah. Oh, of course. Fox jellyfish uh, from the J.J. Abrams. Nice. Apollo 11 command module. And, of course, a what a real D7 looks like. <laughs> none, of, none of this, none of this uh, I don't know what the heck that thing was. That was some kind of pregnant Canada goose that, uh, with, uh, with lots of ornamentation that went by on Discovery. But. See, here's the thing. I expect explanation, though. So I don't mind if they throw something really bizarre out at me because I think, okay, what will happen in two, three, five, ten episodes down the road? Is there some reason that that ship looks entirely different from the other one. Uh, usually yes. design stuff doesn't bother me, and I'm okay that we have different-looking Klingons because there are different Klingons, but to call that a D7 and not really look anything like a D7 uh, was a little weird. It's like if they well, said Constitution class, but then we see something that looks very different. It's going to be fascinating to see because they alluded in Lethe, the episode that was just on, mm-hmm. we finally have a mention of a Constitution class ship like the Enterprise. Now, are they going to bring in Matt Jeffrey's extremely clean design, this design right here, and right. put it next to these uh, CGI ships that have so much detailing and and little knobblies and greeblies all over them? Or are they going to have to reimagine the Constitution class when we see it? That's going to be a very interesting creative choice for them to have to make. But my way of looking at this is you go in and assume that the guys and gals who are making this know what they're doing. When they make a reference to D7 and then show you something that isn't a D7, I expect, as you just said, John, there's rationale and logic behind it. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Maybe it's sort of like buying a Scion, like the Klingons can go to a website and they can start with a D7 and say, well, I'm going to customize it with this and I want these kind of rims. That's and right. That's maybe right. that's what they do. Yeah. So um, differences in the spaceships aside... <laughs> I'm curious how you're enjoying the ride so far. I'm Discovery. loving it. I'm loving yeah. it. Like every 
a longtime Star Trek fan. I'm, I'm, you know, now 50 years a Star Trek fan since 67. Uh, every longtime Star Trek fan loves to quibble and tear things apart and say, wait a minute, this contradicts that. You can do that within the context of TOS, right? You can say in this episode, they said diamond is still the hardest substance known. And in that episode, they said castrodinium is way harder than diamond. We played this game for half a century now, and it's part of the fun. So, Yes, there are things that I'm wondering about, things that I would might have done differently, quibbles here and there. But by and large, yes, I'm loving it. And more than that, I'm loving it by episode six more than I loved any of the other post-TOS series by their sixth episode. Right? You compare this out of the gate to TNG out of the gate. And we're light years ahead in terms of engagement, sophistication of characters, quality of the writing and quality of the acting. We're way better off than uh, those stumbling, that stumbling first season of TNG, for instance. No, 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 hold on just a minute, Robert J. Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't John tell me Sam. that you're talking about Code of Honor in that. The Code uh... of Honor, right? <laughs> I mean, absolute crap. And you know what we've seen here is the night and day difference between um, Cadet um, Tilly yes. and Cadet Wesley Crusher, right? Yes. You can do the wide-eyed, innocent, enthusiastic, young character and have it be completely irritating, the way poor Will Wheaton's character was, or be absolutely engaging, whereas I'm finding uh, Tyler... Or, um, not Tyler, what's Tilly? Uh, Tilly, 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 yeah. Tilly yeah. Uh, in, in uh, Discovery. So, yeah, but Code of Honor, I mean, is like the bo- bargain basement bottom floor of all Star Trek of all time. But even Encounter at Farpoint is so clumsy in introducing the characters compared to what we had uh, here in Discovery. Of course, TNG found its legs, don't get me wrong. The, uh, in fact, the opposite comparison is Lethe was co-written by the fellow who wrote Darmok for TNG. Mm-hmm. Darmok mm-hmm. with the uh, alien who spoke only in metaphor uh, as the walls fell and so forth uh, was one of the very best TNGs. I would say episode six of Discovery was at best it's in the top top Six, but it's, <laughs> but it's not my number one, two, or three of what we've seen to date. Yeah, you're referencing uh, Joe Minoski, who um, is a bit of a mystery, and glad to see him back uh, and working on Discovery. By the way, since you mentioned it, uh, uh, the, speaking in metaphors and uh, the title of the show, Let They, I had that sort of in my uh, in my trivia, my notes here. But but you and I were talking before the show. Why don't you clue us all in and our, our audience in on on the background of that word and why that's an appropriate title for this episode? Well, I haven't looked it up for ages, but my recollection. Collection is that it is the memory of river, sorry, the river of memory (laughs) (laughs) in Greek mythology. And it's a name that we heard in TOS, the blanked out woman who was uh, Dr. Tristan Adams' assistant in Dagger of the Mind. That woman no longer exists. All of my memories of that evil that I was have been expunged. Her name was Lethe. So it's a name we've heard before, L-E-T-H-E. One of the things, by the way, that I dislike about Discovery is they don't give you that title on screen, right? It's always been a Star Trek thing. And I know it's not in vogue, but there are a lot of things Star Trek does that aren't in vogue. Uh, I want to see the name. I don't want to have to go, okay, what was that one called? And Google it to find out. I did have one other question for you um, before we let you go. 
I'm curious. I mean, because you you're a fan. You've said you're a fan. Um, has the show been on long enough for you to have uh, have picked a character? Like, if is there one character that you you're like, oh man, I really want to write for that. I really want to play with that. Or is there a character with whom you identify more than the others? I mean, is there? Yeah, I is will there, answer. Is there that. one character like that like does it for you? I will answer that, but I want to say the flip side first. This is the first post TOS series where there has been no character that I dislike. Right. I mean, mm. obviously, you're not supposed to like Lorca. Lorca is a complex, uh, you know, troubled man and so forth. But the actor and the character work really well for me. Now, in Voyager, every time smarmy Tom Paris was on screen, it didn't work for me. Obviously, Wesley didn't work for a lot of people on TNG. Uh, Jake and Nog, particularly that subplot. Jake grew up to be a more interesting character, but Nog and even, you know, uh, Rom, uh, I could take a pee break when he came on screen there's been none of that here in discovery every one of the actors and every one of the characters is intriguing and i don't cringe uh when they switch oh now it's going to be uh the doctor now it's going to be but and here's my answer now it's going to be uh seru uh the uh, alien uh who was in line to be first officer and blah 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 uh who has been both subordinate and superior to michael uh, I think the actor is spectacular. I think the idea of an alien race that uh, lived as a as a prey animal on a world of predators is something very interesting and very different because we hear over and over again about warrior races in Star Trek. Even the Andorians, you know, as they say in the animated series, a warrior race has few sympathies, but one we have is for family. Uh, a race that isn't inclined to violence or war uh, mm-hmm. on a regular basis, not the Halkins appearing in one episode, mirror, mirror, but on an ongoing basis, I think is going to be very interesting. And he's the guy I identify with. I very much want to, I want to know about their, their societal development. Like what happened to the predators? That's actually what I want to know about. I've, I've, that's not even the home game. That's just sort of like when I'm sitting here by myself, like, so did something wipe them out and how did they evolve and all that stuff? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I might, I might be with you on that. Although, Stamets, like his sudden, um, the freeing of his consciousness, let's say, that we experienced in this episode, I, I yeah. found that kind of, uh, I mean, it was both humorous, but also a really interesting, uh, a really interesting idea that, that it was um, groovy. It was, it was very groovy. Yeah. Groovy. That he could suddenly <laughs> have the curtain pulled back yeah. and make him, uh, make him a bit more mellow. Maybe. Yeah, you know, he's a fascinating character. Um, when we first saw him, he was very much Richard Daystrom. He was this guy who was arrogant beyond belief because he was brilliant beyond belief. And mm-hmm. he had created this thing that nobody had ever been able to do before. And uh, that works for one episode, right? Richard Daystrom could not be an ongoing character. You would eventually, you know, have grown tired of that arrogance. Um, so what they're doing, this guy's already had a very interesting arc. In just six episodes and where he will go as we go along i'm fascinated to follow along cool all right uh robert we uh i i you know i always say this uh, uh that we know that you're busy we know that you have things to do even if i don't know that for sure i'm just i'm saying that to make a clean transition <laughs> I do. okay all right yeah you're a very busy man we really appreciate your time and your insight Love talking Star Trek with you, uh, whether it's in, in this kind of situation or just sitting across a, a table from you and a giant burger. So uh, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. And uh, we'll do this again sometime. I hope so. Be well, my friends. 
All right. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. Ken, we do have a caller, uh, Casey, who is almost ready to join us. But before we go to Casey, uh, one quick thing I want to do. I want to remind people about the poll. Uh, again, it's Sarek, bad father or worst father. We want you to vote. We want to, uh, to know what you think. Ken, do you have a, a strong opinion about this? Yes. Okay. Would you like to share that with us? Are we doing that now? See, I feel like I feel like if we say now, then we yeah. might sort of like skew the votes a little bit. Yeah. I kind of feel like we should maybe do that at the end, but I don't know. I think right. everybody knows your answer though because they listen to Mission Log. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they all listen to Mission Log. And then also there was the whole thing that you did at the beginning, uh, calling out uh, was it Heather calling yep. out Heather's answer. Yep. Yeah. I think we all know how you feel. All right. Well, uh, by the way, yeah. Heather has another comment. Uh, as we were talking about Lorca, uh, she says um, Lorca's severe PTSD is reminding me a lot of Commodore Decker. So since we were talking about uh, the Doomsday Machine earlier and mm. uh, we had a, a, another let's see. William says, uh, as a TOS fan from the beginning, saw the first episode on the first day best thing about being this old i also love discovery job well done i don't agree with so many people that Lorca is bad or an evil captain he just is complicated more like a tos commodore who breaks the rules situational ethics for what he thinks is the greater good um so yeah i that's a, an interesting take on Lorca. i think this episode revealed a lot of interesting things about Lorca. he may not be exactly who we thought he was the difficult part, and and I'm sorry, Casey, I'm just going to ask you to hold on for like another 10 seconds. The difficult part about deciding anything about any of these characters right now is we're nowhere near, we're not even near the middle of this story. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know, I, I, like it's possible we're being led to believe that Lorca is a bad guy and then they're going to pull a switcheroo halfway through and it turns out, oh, he's not bad. You know, something else was going on or maybe we're supposed to think some other character is actually a good character and then all of a sudden it's going to be switched up at some point. I mean, the cool thing about the fact that we're getting so deep into the characters is it really gives us time to to get invested in a way. At the same time, the drag is we don't know what we've actually seen is true. We don't know mm-hmm. what of what we've seen is actually true. Cool thing about a 48-minute anthology show has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We are We were talking before the show with Rob about sort of this structure, and he said, if you think about season one as one episode of discovery we're at about the 20 minute mark yeah and so who can know you know what is the truth about anybody Lorca, burnham uh stamets yeah i could keep naming characters but tilly. when we go to our caller and tilly, say tilly, 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 tilly is a character we can name tilly. dark side of tilly yeah saru yeah that's another character <laughs> but <laughs> and that's i mentioned it last week what i am enjoying about discovery so far is that it is keeping me guessing that they're mm. not just handing me everything on a silver platter and saying, yep, here's Star Trek. Here's everything by rote that you expected to be in here. Um, because that would be kind of boring. I think um, I'm glad that this is something different. Well, let's talk to Casey. Let's uh, let's see what Casey has to say. Are you there with us, sir? What's up guys. Can you see and hear me? There you are. Hi. Can. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, I tried to get the uh, holographic uh, transmission, but it wasn't working. So, uh, <laughs> the 2D yeah. version. Yes, um, yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. I've seen a lot of TV in my life. And uh, the one thing I'm really liking, like uh, 
John was saying is uh, the shows keep me guessing. And when something can surprise me like that, um, I'm delighted. Uh, so Lorca, I don't trust him at all after this episode. <laughs> it's just, he's grooming Michael in a really creepy way. Yeah. He's manipulating the scenes. He's a master manipulator. And I am almost wondering if he purposely uh, slept with the Admiral in order to potentially discredit her for pulling the power move on him and unseating him from the ship. I just don't know. Uh, All I know is as soon as she stepped on that shuttle, I'm like, mm, she's not coming back. No, mm, no. Yeah. So well, I, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you how, how obvious you thought it was that Lorca was just perfectly fine with getting rid of her, getting rid of her entirely. That he, that he, that he, he, he stuck to his, uh, he stuck to the manual. You know, with Saru, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, we could save her, but, you know, rules, you know, what are you going to do? He's like Spock like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> he'll, yeah. Just, he'll just passively, passively, aggressively use rules to get what he wants. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sorry. There's the, my hands are tied. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's war. What are you going to do? But uh, no, I, I love it. Uh, I don't trust Ash whatsoever. Um, hmm. But at the same time, uh, it, it seems kind of too obvious. Um, I've been trying to stay away from spoilers for this show because, uh, you know, the whole thing with Ash and, and, and Bach, uh, I don't want to believe it true. it's true just because it seems too simple. But now that we've seen that weird scar thing on uh, Lorca's back, I don't know what to expect. And, and the thing with the, uh, the Admiral saying that he's uh, been changed He's very, very different over the last uh, several months. And the bit about, uh, oh, you remember that time we saw the meteors? Uh, oh, what? You don't remember? You know, they're, they're being very smooth about their presentation of it. But mm-hmm. uh, mm, no, no, I don't trust him at all now. And the stuff he's doing with Michael is super creepo. And, you know, something that I really liked about that scene of them drinking. I mean, uh, first of all, we always talk about on Mission Log how we like the scenes that feel really grounded. So going back to TOS, when you introduce a character like Gary Mitchell, or you go back to the cage and it's Pike and Boy sitting down having a drink, there's something about moments like that that feel just 100% real, like these people belong there. And that scene of uh, Cornwell and Lorca sitting there having a drink, and they drop all the pretense of the the Starfleet hierarchy, and they're just a couple of people who know each other intimately having a drink. I know that people get all upset about, oh, there was lens flare in this shot. Honestly, I don't really care about stylistic stuff like that. But there was something about the way that was shot where you had the kind of blurry lens flare in front of them that just made you feel like you're in this sort of drunken, hazy, intimate moment with them that I thought was a really nice production touch. Um, And and it it kept, I felt like it kept you as the audience a little bit kind of off balance as, as these little things were coming out. Like, uh, where, 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 why don't you remember going to the meteor shower? And, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Apparently, the only, uh, the only uh, diplomat greater than Sarek is alcohol, according to <laughs> Right. He's played a prominent role over the last half century. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. No, it, it, you know, fantastic. 
also, uh, does may fortune favor the bold? Is that the 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 catchphrase for the Lorca family uh, fortune cookie business? <laughs> Should it be? That's I, I I will say this. Uh, Lorca opens a fortune cookie in the most badass way I've ever seen. It's a horrible. It's a horrible way to eat a fortune cookie, though. I was thinking Why is that horrible? Like because there are crumbs everywhere when you do that, and it's like also, ninety aren't they pieces. Ridiculously stale. <laughs> yeah, maybe they just did not bowl, you know. And oh yeah, they're not. They're not in wrappers. Yeah. Well, he may get a new bowl every morning, though. I mean, it may be. You know. Mm-hmm. Also, is that how he makes command decisions? Just by. <laughs> There's not a fortune in any of them, though, is there? I, I don't know, actually. We haven't seen one anyway. Yeah. Well, and the, the scene missing between him and Cornwell is having a fortune cooking and then adding in bed to the end of the fortune. <laughs> Clearly. I was laughing because I was making the joke the entire time we were watching. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Casey, fantastic to hear from you. Uh, any uh, parting words here before we, uh, we move on? Yes. Last week. You guys took a lot of exception to, uh, to, to Tilly and Stamets using the F word. Uh, mm. I just wanted to drop a quote, a couple quotes. Uh, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. Um, oh. Ken had said that, and, and you guys were both. Uh, understandably, you, you were sort of taken aback by it, and, and, and you felt it wasn't earned. Uh, given the context of what they were talking about and what they're trying to do with this show, uh, the, 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 there's beautiful integration with uh, all the Easter eggs in this show. None of them feel ham-fisted to me. Uh, the thing with the food slots, uh, everything, everything, all the little details are, are just really nicely integrated. Um, but what they're really trying to do is make it feel real. And that is one of these artificial things. You know, uh, uh, George Carlin says, they're only words that we've decided not to use all the time. But it's very, very arbitrary, like wearing neckties in, in business settings. You know, <laughs> I, I rewatched uh, Star Trek Beyond uh, last night, and they had a businessman walking by, and he still had the necktie. And like 500 years later, that's an interesting thing, but plausible because it's, it, it, it's arbitrary. And, um, you know, I hope... To me, it is aspirational to, to, uh, to, to, to use this kind of language and take the power out of it. And quite frankly, the show is marked M.A. already. So I'm not really worried about kids. And really, you know, uh, since 1999, the South Park film, you know, those guys did a great job of highlighting this weird thing in our culture where uh, language is awful, but will show this incredible violence, you know, and we're for, we're fine with that. You know, uh, back in the 80s, you know, the 18, you know, uh, Missile Mike, uh, you know, <laughs> that's from Max Hedrum. That's really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's a good deep cut. Here's what I will say. Um, to that, I have a friend who works at NASA and I have a friend who works at NASA because she was not much of a student, but she got really interested in science because she got really interested in Voyager. And what she actually posted the other day on Facebook was if Voyager had been dropping the F-bomb, I never would have seen that. I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it and I never would have found that 
I never would have found that connection. We talk to people all the time at the, at the Star Trek convention when we're there who say that their lives were changed at a very young age because of what they saw on screen with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy or with, you know, Riker and, and Picard and whomever. And so, and so to now, because I'm with you on the gore as well, honestly. I mean, they, they stabbed a guy. I think it was last week or the week before, last week. They stabbed a guy. And then to make sure that we really knew he was stabbed, they showed us the wound. They showed us the bleeding wound of it. And I got the fact that he was, I got the fact that he was uh, stabbed because they, you know, sort of shoved the knife into him. I get the fact that these are adults on a spaceship because I'm watching adults walk around in a spaceship. And, and... <laughs> To sort of take away that, to sort of take away, if you'll pardon my use of the term, to sort of take away that possibility of discovery from a kid who might actually benefit from it. That's where I sort of, that's where I sort of worry about it. But that's the thing that's frustrating because uh, it, it is an arbitrary distinction. We do not see violence and gore, certainly not transporter malfunctions or other things like that on a daily basis. We do hear curse words on a daily basis. The reason why we, uh, gatekeep kids from saying it is uh is an arbitrary thing and it's not there's it's like the 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 parents who wouldn't let the kids read the harry potter books because of uh, depictions of witchcraft now they have the right to gatekeep their children from that kind of material i guess um but uh it's not it's an arbitrary. The only reason uh, the word, let me see here. Um, yeah. In our century, we've, we've learned not to fear words. Uh, the only reason this to quote another great man, the only reason this word has power to hurt us is because we let it. Uh, the only way to get people over being offended by something uh, is to desensitize people to it. Um, and, I, and I'm not talking about racial slurs. Because there's a difference that that's a pointed attack on someone, but yeah. words like the f bomb, um, it's meaningless now. Yeah. And kids say it to each other, and they giggle about it because they know that it's arbitrary and and it's funny because it's a bad word. And why? Why? I mean, here's the thing, Casey, I, I, at, at this level of the conversation, I actually do agree with you. I mean, I, it is an arbitrary thing if we can kind of separate ourselves from the reaction that people have to it. It's just a, a series of phonemes that we decide are, are offensive. You know, yeah. um, I've I've read a lot of comments in the days since and a lot of people kind of turn me around on this where, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's not the worst thing to happen. I'm certainly not personally offended by it. You should hear me and Ken off air. We make a a specific decision to not use certain words on air because we know that we would have to tag it explicit and we know that it would prevent people from finding our show. But this show is tagged explicit. It it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, And there's something about that, though, where I guess we look at it and go, well, to us, Star Trek's really important. Star Trek can be inspirational. Star Trek can reach out to this wide audience. What a shame if there are people who, again, arbitrarily just won't see it because of that one thing. But those people could also arbitrarily uh, uh, block them from seeing that because they show depictions of life on other planets, and that's religiously blasphemous. Oh, sure, 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 sure. And, I mean, there, there are all kinds of reasons. You but know? I'm, saying, I, I'm saying that that... 
I'm saying that the people who would block their children from seeing that for that reason are probably people who aren't examining this question and it's worth examining. Yeah. And that quote I was saying earlier, by the way, was a quote by the man himself, Ken Ray, from the <laughs> Savage Curtain podcast. <laughs> that, that man does some good podcasting. Uh, listen, man, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. I really appreciate it. I love the spirited conversation. Please call back next time, whenever you're free. We'd love to hear from you again. I really to. appreciate it. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much, guys. Have All right. One. Take care. Thank you, Casey. Ken, uh, we do have another caller standing by, but uh, we need to do our thing. Did he just throw my words back at me? He did. Uh, that's he did. it. I'm never talking again after we talk <laughs> about after we talk about the good people at Eagle Moss, because I assume that's the business you wanted to do, right? Before yeah, we get let's to, start uh, before we get to Liam. Yeah. Liam, please stand by because we will get to you shortly. But first, yeah, I don't have the copy right in front of me, John, but I'm just going to wing it. Okay. Uh, these are the, this is the Discovery Starship Collection, right? Yes. Yeah, this to me is, is still amazing. And I was thinking about this the other day, too. It's like, I'm going to start with the Shenzo. And then I thought, that's amazing. Because then after that, because here's the thing, I think it's $9.95. Am I right about that? You're right about that. Free shipping, that is your, too. That yeah. is your starter ship. It's about an eight inch long, uh, perfectly detailed, beautifully designed uh, copy of the Shenzo, which was the uh, ship, of course, that Captain Giorgio and, 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 uh, and Michael Burnham and Saru and all the other people, uh, most of whom are no longer with us, <laughs> served on in the first two episodes of, uh, of Discovery. And then, like, like, after that, once a month, you're going to get another ship from Discovery. And I thought, well, that's crazy, because we haven't seen that many ships from Discovery. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, they probably already got a year, actually, before you even, before you even get any further into the show, because there are two shuttles. There's the one that, uh, you know, shuttle pilot Barb flew. That could be mm -hmm. gone now. You know, that could mm -hmm. be one of them. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I, you know, I shouldn't guess what the shuttles are, because that's the other thing. People can actually go online and take a look at what's coming up. I think you actually have the copy in front of you now. So could you I remind do, people I where do. to do that? Yeah. yeah well, uh, look, I mean, here's what you need to know. If you don't know already, uh, this is the officially authorized collection authorized by CBS studios made by the fine people at Eagle Moss who just do such an exceptional job on these hand painted, beautifully rendered and detailed models. Um, they're made out of that metallic resin. So they have a nice heft. They feel like, Truly collector pieces. Um, I'm very happy with the ones that I've seen from them. The stuff from Discovery is brand new, and it will be out in very limited quantity. As you said, Ken, starting with the USS Shinju, NCC-1227, it's about eight inches long from the front of the saucer to the end of the nacelle, so bigger than their usual teeny tiny spaceships. Um, and there is only one way to guarantee that you get it. They will be shipping yes. starting in early 2018. And Ken, you can tell us where they can get that. Uh, they can go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. As we said, your first ship is $9.95, and that does come with free shipping. Uh, the ship itself will be uh, to your door uh, by the 31st of January 2018, if not sooner. New models then do ship monthly, and they will be delivered directly to you as well. And uh, you won't get that for $9.95, each one that comes after that. But if you get in early and you go ahead and get your subscription set up, um, each ship that comes after that will come to you with a 20% discount. And just like everything else with Eagle Moss, you can cancel it anytime if you want to, but then you're just you know cutting yourself off from, from building your own Discovery Armada. 
And why would you do that? So once again, you can reserve your version of the USS Shenzhou at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And thank you so much again to Eagle Moss for sponsoring Mission Log Live. All right. It has we been have a, a lively discussion so far. It has been. People, yeah, but we should let people know there's still time to get in. So uh, go to uh, wherever it is, facebook.com <laughs> slash mission log pod. And then right there on the screen, you'll see the different ways to get in touch with us. You can, of course, join us by video or you can do like our friend Liam has done and join us uh, just on the audio tip. Uh, Liam, thank you very much for calling in this evening. Hi, guys. I love your badge, Ken. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks. I love your badge, too. I'm just imagining you have one. I, can't <laughs> I have one from Into Darkness, I think, a, a science badge somewhere. Oh, I've got those. Yeah, I, you know, I actually almost wore those, to, or one of those tonight, but I figured, eh, we're doing Discovery. Because I've got, I've got the four from, um, we've got the four from actually the, the JJ movies. Just got the one here, but I'm looking forward to building my collection. Yeah, What's exactly. on your mind tonight? A bunch of things, some some little things. Uh, Casey's argument about F-bombs was interesting. I noticed that he didn't use one the whole time he made the argument. Which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if maybe we can sort of retcon this in our minds as F-bombs are archaic in the 23rd century, and they think that Tilly's just being really weird by saying it. Oh. So, oh, so okay. you're saying like Tilly's like the hipster of discovery? Yeah. Like, like she might have a handlebar mustache if she were a guy or like ride a really big bicycle <laughs> or, or drop the F-bomb. Yeah. So it's like if I were to come on the air and say, uh, hey, Ken, you're the bee's knees. Let's go get splificated later. Right. That would be it would just be completely <laughs> wouldn't make any sense. I, yeah, I wouldn't know what you were talking about. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like how in, on Voyager, Tom Paris talks a lot about stuff from the 20th century without really knowing what he's talking about half the time. Well, that, that goes for all of us, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other thing that, that I thought you guys, I'm surprised you haven't brought up already, is those disco shirts. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, well, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I have nothing more to say about that. I'm sorry. I started <laughs> to say something. I realized I shouldn't say anything about it. Yeah, they, they're, um, yes. That's really all I got. <laughs> Actually, kind I of a little surprised shirt. you don't. I'm surprised you don't have one already. I'm surprised you don't have it on. Yeah, um, I was actually thinking about you know uh, next week's show, Tuesday night show is Halloween, and we've actually been challenged by a friend of ours, Jocelyn, mm-hmm. to make sure that we are dressed up for next week's show because it is Halloween. So oh, I'm thinking about trying okay. to see if I can get a disco shirt for that. Although I do have another idea, but if I pull off the other idea, that's going to be a surprise. Oh, now so, see, yeah. I'm going to say, but the disco shirt would be the easiest Halloween costume you could possibly do because just wearing a t-shirt. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm totally a member of the Discovery crew. I was just working out in the hall and then I ran in to do the show. Right. But I got to yeah. go because I got to shave 6.5 seconds off my time. Right. That does raise the question if the costumes need to be Star Trek themed costumes, because I've got some costumes for Halloween this year, too, in fact. But, yeah, if they don't need to be Star Trek. Uh, You know, I mean, we dress up uh, Star Trek every time we're at a convention. I say dress up however you want to. Now, that said, uh, the costume that I'm thinking about is a Star Trek themed costume. Of course. But, yeah, but, you know, (laughs) what else is on your mind, Liam? Speaking of costumes, have you noticed that there's a difference between the men's and women's uniforms in terms of the pipes that wrap around their shoulders? Are there really? I haven't noticed that. In what way? All of the women have four pipes, either bronze, silver, or gold, and all of the men have five. 
Huh. Is, and I it's not a rank thing? No. It's not I a... It was, uh, I thought it was a rank thing. So then I went back through all the episodes and looked at everybody's costume as closely as I could. And all of the women have four, from Cornwell all the way down to Tilly. And all of the men have five, regardless of their rank or position. Wow. No, I did not notice that. I'll have to take a good look. And, and maybe we get a uh, maybe we get a costumer on the air with us to, to help explain that at some point. That's a really good detail. I wonder if it's maybe a thing so that they, you can pick it out from when you get your laundry pile from the quartermaster. You can just uh, pull. Well, I mean, come on, you think of the 23rd century, they don't have their names written in and Sharpie in the back somehow. I mean, that I'm, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Or do they just get them out of that uniform machine every time that they need a new one? See, that's yeah. my assumption, actually. Yeah. So who cares? Like, how are you going to mix them up? Unless, you know, you bring them up off the floor. A Admiral. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she put All that right. jacket on really fast. Yeah. She Well, look, if you had a phaser pulled on you, I think you'd be putting on your jacket pretty fast. And like, I'm out of here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Liam. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Come back next time and uh, we'll talk to you later. And it looks like we have Kay standing by on video. Kay, are you there? I don't think she's quite there yet. No, she'll be here in a moment. Let me go ahead. Let me go ahead really quickly though. And say, let me go ahead really quickly and say why my argument is, um, because I know people are apparently the the poll is skewing uh, Sarek as bad father, not the worst father. Mm-hmm. And I, I will make my case for why I say he's the worst father. Okay, go ahead. He's just he's just the worst. Oh no! See, Ken. That's look, it. No, no. He's just he is just no, the worst. Look, I, I think John, about, John, John. I want to hear what you have to say. But Kay has Ken, actually joined us now. Uh, Can we go ahead and bring Kay on the phone? How dare on, you? The, uh, All right. on the line, please. Kay, yeah, Kay, where are you? Hi, please guys. save us. Hey, hey how's it going? I'm good. How are you? We're, we're hanging in there. I, I think we you might see me and Ken go to blows over the uh, worst <laughs> father of the year award here. Oh, I'm I'm a wolf, me. But yeah, I think Sarek's up there. You know why? You know, because you're right. That's why, Kay. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I think I Sarek's just the worst. Yeah. He's just the worst. Uh, what's mm-hmm. on your mind tonight, Kay? Aside from, you know... Um, well, getting back to Lorca a little bit, actually, because I really enjoyed what we saw with him this week. And I just I love how we're getting from this kind of generic. Oh, he's a bit of a bad guy into this. Oh, well, actually, is he or is he just really morally ambigu- ambiguous? Um, but the thing I really wanted to talk about was like his relationship with Cornwell, because I found that really fascinating. It's actually one of the things that I've found to feel most Star Trek about the show so far, because I really like how we get this, oh, he's got this person who he's been friends with, obviously, for a really, really long time, and they've got quite an intimate relationship, but it's it's not very formal. It's really casual, and it's quite, I feel like that's similar to things that we've seen previously in Star Trek with sort of, like Troy and Riker earlier on, we see this kind of casual nature of, oh, is it a relationship, or is it not a relationship, and what's going on with them? And I kind of got that vibe from them, so I wanted to ask what you guys thought about that. Well, I was glad to see a relationship that has consequence. You know, we, we would joke about how on the original series, um, here's, uh, here's Shana in the Gamesters of Triskelion, who really needs help. Um, she really needs to not be there. And uh, Kirk kind of seduces her and uh, feeds her a line and then says, see ya. 
Um, and, and of course, we're never going to hear from her again or any of the gamesters of Triskelion at all. Uh, we're just sort of done with it. Fast forward to next gen, as you point out, where you have this um, you have this sort of vaguely defined relationship with Troy and Riker, where it's just sort of like whatever happens happens and they're okay with it. They're okay if they're going to beam down to beta Z and make out in a public park, but they're also okay. If uh, Riker is going to, um, you know, get intimate with the guest star of the week too, or maybe Troy for that matter. Um, So yes, they, they were maybe trying to tell us something about the fluid nature of relationships in the 24th century uh, through, through that kind of thing. Um, what I really liked in the the Lorca Cornwell depiction is that that it felt real. It mm-hmm. felt like there was some there was some drama to it. There were feelings behind it. There were some hurt feelings behind it. Um, I liked. Uh, I, I really loved that moment when Cornwell was leaving his room, and Lorca for a moment showing this vulnerability, saying let me keep my ship. That's all I've got. And she says, I don't even know if I'm talking to the real you great bit of dialogue and delivered so well that it, it just felt, it felt heartbreaking, but it also felt like, wait a minute, am I being manipulated here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's a testament, not only to uh, the writing and weaving something really meaty for these actors to do, but it's a testament to the actors being truly invested in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much more I can add to it other than to say that I thought it was great. Uh, what about you, Ken? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you there on on just about all of it. Honestly, there's uh, there was um, yeah, there was an intimacy to it that was believable. It was not uh, like some of the stuff that we saw with Kirk in years past. I mean, down to what Star Trek to the wrath of Khan. I mean, we know that he's affected because, you know, uh, Shatner does a very affected look and he actually, you know, says the thing to bones about, you know, you should know better than anyone, the danger of opening old wounds or something like that. I mean, they're very much telegraphing everything that's happening there. Uh, this was played subtly, but it was it was really it was really well done. I mean, the whole thing where she says, "I came to see my friend," and he gets out the bottle and says, "Okay, well, let, let's talk like friends." And there's just a little shift there. It was really it was really yeah it was it was pretty neat to see. It's interesting too how we don't know their history. I mean, she indicated it on the last episode too that or no, not the last episode, the one before that that they're friends. But it it was just well written and well played. I felt like. I felt like we were eavesdropping on on a on a conversation that was between two people. I mean, whatever's going on with Lorca is going on with Lorca, but it's between two people who have known each other for years. Mm. Um, and that was kind of a that was kind of a cool thing to see. It was a grown up thing to see, which was great. Without and not to keep you know going back to Casey's thing, I honestly thought that by now we would have seen hmm, something sort of risque. I would say sure. I thought, well, we've done we've done incredible violence. We've dropped the F-bomb. I'm assuming that there's, uh, you know, nudity coming at some point. And to have honestly that whole thing be fairly chaste was actually um, was was an interesting was an interesting thing to see and an interesting thing to play. Um, yeah, overall, I, I, I liked it. It added depth to Lorca's character. So far, he's he's looked sort of like the mustache twirling villain. And now, I mean, there's. I feel like we know less about what's going on with them now than we thought we did last week, which is kind of a cool thing too. Yeah. 
Kay, where are you calling from? I'm calling from England. Well, it's like, it's so late there. It's like Thursday, right? It is, it is. <laughs> and you know, I <laughs> I actually thought a couple of times about phoning up. I was thinking, oh, can I get up at 3 a.m. To, to call in or not? But I actually woke up at exactly 3 a.m. So I thought, well, that is obviously the sign that I should get on. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. That is incredibly cool of you to do. And we're really glad okay. that, uh, that, that we were able to take your call. And yeah. uh, please, if you find yourself uh, with insomnia again, uh, <laughs> then be sure to join us. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I love the show, guys. So so thanks for that. I'm trying to catch up at the moment before you guys get to DS9. I'm on season two of Next Gen at the moment. So I'm just... I'm listening to about two or three episodes a day at the moment. Hey, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll slow down. We'll, we'll take a break. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Let us know what works for you, okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Take care. Have a great night. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Ken, we're almost to the end here. Uh, I believe you you probably want to let people know that after this show, they should go over and join uh, Priority One podcast. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so another one of the... Um... Another one of the Mission Log podcast podcasts, one of the Mission Log, um, I'll start again. One of the Roddenberry <laughs> podcast network podcasts, excuse me, because there are a few. There's Mission Log, there's Mission Log Live, there's Women at Warp, and there is Priority One. Uh, they are recording their show every Tuesday night. They do this thing, though, where as they record their show, they actually uh, do it live. So if you go over to their website immediately after this, uh, facebook.com slash priority one podcast facebook.com slash priority one podcast uh you'll get to see uh, you'll get to see kenna you'll get to see winters you'll get to see elijah and you'll get to see tony and they'll all be talking about well whatever is star trek news this week and additionally they'll also do some discovery talk as well so they do that every tuesday night usually starts about five minutes past the hour five to ten minutes past the hour but go there hang out lots of other star trek fans there having a good time and uh, they would love it if you join them Ken, I, I love it when we're in this position where we're, we're getting on to the end of the show and we have this embarrassment of riches of great comments on the Facebook page, uh, great comments. Some that are coming in on Twitter. I have to give a shout out to our friend uh, at Picard's Fish. That would be Livingston Picard, uh, old friend of ours on Twitter. And uh, he says, at Mission Log Pod, question, holodeck? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. WTF, see, I'm going to keep it clean, was that. I'm just going to very quickly in the, our last seconds here say it's not a holodeck. You had a holographic simulation, basically a corridor overlay on a corridor. But remember, even back in TAS, they had a holodeck-like simulation and Gene Roddenberry's notes for TOS, he wanted to have a holodeck on the Enterprise way back when. So this is not out of the ordinary. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting that you say TAS, though. Like, that's canon. It's Star Trek, Ken. It's oh, okay. Star Trek. That's I, the I important part. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us this week on Mission Log Live. Uh, remember, you can go to missionlogpodcast.com. You can go to podcast.roddenberry.com. The audio-only version of this show will be out momentarily. Please join us again next week, facebook.com slash missionlogpod to join on the live show and talk about discovery. That is every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, and other times, other places. And we look forward to seeing you live next week. Mm-hmm.